here this morning. So if you'd stand for the reading of the word today for the second straight service, I realize there are no Bibles in the sanctuary, so I'm going to turn around and read this for you. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you learn from us how you ought to live and please God, as in fact you're doing, you should do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, that each of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know God, and that no one wrong or exploit a brother or sister in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, just as we have already told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God did not call us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever rejects this rejects not human authority, but God who also gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning the love of the brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anyone write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, and indeed, you do love all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, beloved, to do so more and more, to, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we directed you, so that you may behave properly towards outsiders and be dependent on no one. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Let me pray as I begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So years ago, I was asked to teach an intro to the Bible college course as an adjunct professor. Uh, I was excited for the opportunity to teach the Bible to these college students, some of whom had a faith background coming in and many of whom knew nothing about God or the Bible or Jesus at all. It was a great challenge for me, but I was nervous too. Classes were on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the afternoon for about 90 minutes, which is about how long it took for me some days to get in there or get out of there. I had a full workload here at church, and I had little ones at home, so I agreed to teach, but I did something that felt kind of radical at the time. When I handed out my syllabus to the students, I explained that their attendance in class would be 70% of their grade. Since I was driving in twice a week and I couldn't hold office hours to be more relational with these students, their attendance was critical in the class. So it didn't take long for them to figure out as they were looking through the syllabus that if they did no other work in the class, meaning no reading, no papers, no tests, no quizzes, if they did no work at all but showed up for class, every single class, they would get a passing C minus grade. But for every class they missed, I told them, they would get docked 4% of their grade. And I explained the practicalities of this method and how important class time was because I was going to be walking through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. If they missed a class, they were effectively missing a huge chunk of the Bible. So they needed to be there to get the whole story. Beyond the practicalities of this method, I explained that there was a spiritual truth that was also embedded 
in this as well. And that is you can choose the bare minimum, which is showing up and learning some things about God, maybe, maybe not. And God will honor your willingness to show up. But when you combine that willingness to show up with the will to grow personally and to allow the truth of the Bible to sink into your very life, then this class is actually going to be something that's awesome. You're going to learn a ton and it's going to transform you. So I didn't know what an interesting psychological experiment this was going to be. Uh, some of you who are college students or recent grads, you're like, okay, I know how I might game that system. Um, so let me give you three examples of students in the way in which this played out. Uh, first, a student named Ali, very nice kid, came to every single class. He was only partially present when he was in class, and he did absolutely nothing else in the course. Not a paper, no reading. He came to take his final. He wrote like two things on a sheet of paper and turned it in. And he walked away with a C- minus in the course. I have no idea if he learned anything or retained anything. Probably not. Another student named Nils did all of the work for the course. He was very bright. He wrote things very well. He did all the reading, all the quizzes. He did well. But for whatever reason, he did not show up for the last three classes of the course. Those are the classes where we talk about the Apostle Paul. Kind of important stuff, right? And so he received a B for the class. He was not too happy about this. He emailed me for months to voice his displeasure on how unfair this was. So he did a lot of really good things and worked really hard, but big parts of the biblical narrative were missing for him. And then lastly, I had a student named Jennifer who had multiple learning disabilities that she told me, out, told me about at the outside of the class. She showed up for every single class. She sat in the front. She had her notebook ready. She did all of the work. She worked really hard. She would stay after and ask questions. She wrestled with the Bible. She was eager to learn. She was one of those students who would ask a question that other students would think is dumb, right? But she didn't care in class. She'd be like, I don't understand that word, right? And she walked away with an A. And she was able to articulate how much she had learned about the Bible and about Jesus. And she had a sense of, of movement in her own personal faith in her heart, even to the point of, asking me if I could help her seek out a local church to get involved in. So as we turn to the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians in this series called Humble Hope, I want to ask, if that classroom were a, were a metaphor for your own faith life and your journey with Jesus, which student would you be? Would you be someone like Ali? Someone who is faithful to sort of meet the bare minimum requirements but isn't very engaged and is not really growing in any way. Or maybe you'd be like Nils, someone who's engaged, who, who works hard, who, who really tries in a lot of ways, but is missing huge portions of your discipleship, which leads to kind of this middling average result in your faith. Or a Jennifer, someone who not only shows up, but then invests personally in mind and heart and sees a change in your life. You might be surprised which one I want to steer you towards. It's Jennifer, by the way. Um, but guess what? Paul steers us towards that kind of faith as well in this chapter. So let's dig into it. Much of the first letter of Thessalonians uh, up until this point, if you've been following along, has been sort of a love fest. It's been a recognition of the relationship that Paul has with this church and the pride that he has in them for the evidence of their faith, which he's seeing in all these different ways. And in many of Paul's letters, as in many first century letters from all sorts of authors, Paul now turns more technical. 
and it's a, a literary device. It's, ca- it's called parenesis. Parenesis. Parenesis is a direct exhortation. It's the section in the letter where they say, do this and don't do this. Don't do this, but do this. And as we've talked about for several weeks, this exhortation, it occurs in the context of a really healthy relationship between Paul and this church. Paul's not scolding the Thessalonians. He's already affirmed them, right? Instead, this parenthesis, he recognizes that if they are going to backslide in any way, they're liable to do so in certain ways. So he tells them things to do and things not to do. He says three things. He says a lot more than three things, but three things that I think we need to hear this morning, and they kind of correspond to these three different students that I've put before you this morning. So let these students and their example be your parenthesis uh, this morning. The first is this. Don't strive for the bare minimum, but instead pursue holiness. My fear is that so many in the church today treat their faith sort of like my student Ali did. I'll show up, I'll do the kind of the bare minimum, and I'll be content if I can get a passing grade here. For many today, this looks like showing up to church every once in a while, identifying as a Christian, sort of, subsisting on a vague belief in God, and signaling to the people around me that my faith is really important, even when I haven't done any of the work to figure out exactly what that faith is or what it means to me. Look at verse 1. Finally, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you learn from us how you ought to live and please God, as in fact you're doing, you should do so more and more. Paul doesn't want for these believers to simply rest on what they know, to be content with the teachings that they have received, to simply show up. He wants them to seek to please God with their lives and to please God more and more all the time. What Paul is saying here is something that I'm echoing, and hopefully this is evident to you, but if not, it's good to hear it again. The way that you live your life matters. The way you live matters. Yes, it matters what you believe. Yes, it matters what you value. But the way in which you put that into your life in terms of the decisions that you make and the way that you conduct yourself, that really matters. And Paul uses this word twice in today's passage that the Thessalonians should strive for holiness. You might have heard that word as I was reading it, holiness. In verse 3, this is what God desires, your sanctification or your holiness. The Greek word for holiness is hagiosmos, and it's kind of this sticky word to try and translate. Uh, You'll see it in the NRSV, like here, where you see it as sanctification, um, which is partly okay, except do you use that word normally? I don't. Um, It's not a really helpful word, sanctification, because it's seldom used and it gets bogged down with a bunch of sort of theological baggage. So sometimes you see the word translated instead as set apart or called apart. But that's not super helpful either because that doesn't really tell us how to live. You see, holiness is kind of impossible to define because it's God who gets to define it. Throughout the Old Testament, we see throughout the Psalms and the Proverbs and and even the the, uh, narrative of, of wandering through the wilderness that only God is holy. So we can't define holiness here without an understanding of God, which means that no person or system or way of being can define holiness without 
an understanding of God. If they don't know God, they don't know what holiness is. So when Paul is telling his readers to strive for holiness, I think he's saying two things at once, and this is sort of my definition. He's saying, first, conform your life in accordance with the character of God. Conform your life to look more like what God values. And the second thing he's saying is, resist everything that is not in accordance with the character of God. That's what it means to strive for holiness. Conforming to the life and character of God, particularly through the person of Jesus Christ, while moving intentionally away from the things that are not in accordance with his character. Another way to think about this is, Paul is saying we cannot simply seek the bare minimum of our faith. Our relationship with Jesus demands that we strive for holiness. If we're not striving for holiness, all we're really doing is showing up to get a passing grade, we hope. We're accepting a casual relationship with Jesus and hoping that that's going to be enough to carry us through life. Now, if that sounds like you, let me encourage you today towards a life of holy living, a life that's pleasing to God, conforming to his character, moving away from things that are in contradiction to his character, because nobody likes a C-, minus, right? That is a wildly unfulfilling thing to receive. So that's the first thing. Second thing is beware of gaping holes in your discipleship. Like my student Nils, we can show up, we can do a lot of good things, we can say the right things and work hard, but if we miss major parts of God's story, then we have gaping holes in our ability to follow Jesus, what we call our discipleship. When this student missed the classes on the book of Acts and the letters of Paul and the book of Revelation, he had an incomplete story. The puzzle didn't fit together without those portions of the Bible. And it's the same thing with our discipleship, our ability to follow Jesus. We can be doing great in any number of areas of our discipleship, and there are lots of them. We can be striving for holiness in a ton of different areas, but if we're missing key pieces of that holiness— then we're going to end up frustrated and confused and unfulfilled, and we're going to be emailing for months saying this feels unfair. And this is where Paul takes a break to speak about sexual sin. I'm going to talk about this briefly because the text demands it of us. But first, a disclaimer. I know there are some kids here, parents. uh, Don't don't be worried. This is going to remain very PG. Um, But there may be some opportunity for follow-up conversations, and if you don't feel equipped to do that with your kids, feel free to reach out to one of us pastors. We'd love to guide you through that. I also know that when we begin to talk about these things, it feels controversial because it's deeply personal for us. It's things that we feel deeply. So I want to just say there's no shame or judgment here. We talk about these things in church because they're important and they're prevalent in the Bible. All that said, verse 3, Paul says, abstain from fornication. Abstain from fornication. The Greek word here is porneia. It's a really important word. It's, a, it's sort of a, a catch-all word for any sort of um, sexual sin. That is, sexual activity outside the confines of biblical marriage or disordered sexual behavior within marriage. Paul says to abstain from these things. Flee from it in a desire for holiness. Now, I know it might seem like the Bible and pastors are a little too rigid in terms of sexual sin and and they focus too much on it. Maybe we talk about this too much and we don't focus on other sins as much. But here's the reality. Sexual sin is a really big deal in the Bible. 
And sexual holiness is a huge part of our discipleship. If you look at the world today, you would deduce that sexuality is really just an individual choice. It's guided by feelings and emotions first and foremost. That there's freedom in this arena and it's, and it's really a human right. And sexual liberation is a high ideal. But here's the thing. The church is not much better. We don't have a much better track record at this. The rates of premarital sex and cohabitation and infidelity and pornography addiction are much the same in the church as they are in the secular world. But you need to hear this morning that our sexual ethic is not, as many seem to assume today, a minor or even dispensable part of our Christian moral life. On the contrary, it's key to our discipleship. Maybe one of the reflexive reactions that we have as we hear this is is to point out that the world is really different today than it was when Paul was writing. I mean, we progressed in our thinking and science, and, and, and we have sort of an enlightened understanding that Paul's words would be nuanced differently if he was writing to us in Hinsdale, Illinois today. But this is patently false. The first century world, particularly the Greek provinces like Macedonia was, was extremely permissive. I'm not going to spell it all out to you because then we get into PG-13 and and rated our land, but if you read about port cities of the first century, you quickly realize that a Christian sexual ethic was much more radical then than it is right now. So my observation as a pastor is that for many people today, a Christian sexual ethic is a gaping hole in their discipleship, their daily following of Jesus. That many people profess Jesus as Savior, but they have not given him authority as Lord over that part of their life, that huge part of their life. And they haven't asked him to be Lord over it. They haven't sought holiness in this area. Paul makes the point that believers in Jesus, people who profess Jesus as Savior and Lord, they should act differently than those who don't in this area. And because so many people have this gap in their discipleship, they feel shame and they feel guilt and they feel separation from God and their relationship with him suffers. It's hard to talk about this, but it's good for us to do it because the Bible does talk about it, and that's important. Again, for those of you who hear any of this today and feel shame, guilt, judgment, please know that that is not my intent in any way and that God's grace covers all of our sins in this area and a new start with him is always always available. In verse 8, Paul says, Therefore, whoever rejects this, rejects not human authority, but God, who also gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is Paul saying, and I echo it this morning, this is not my word, and I don't want you to be faithful to this word to please me. It's God's word, and you should follow it in order to please God, because again, that is what it means to seek holiness. Think back to my student, Nils. I wanted him to do that work not to please me and to get a good grade. Why did I want him to do it? I wanted him to have the full story of the Bible and to grow in his faith. Okay, third. A humble, growing faith is a strong witness to the world. Jennifer was that student who kind of put things all together, right? Humbly, honestly, saw her life change because of it. And I think this is part of what Paul's getting at in verses 11 and 12, where he says, But we urge you, beloved, thrive more and more to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands, 
as we directed you so that you may behave properly towards outsiders and be dependent upon no one. Paul here is is telling the Thessalonian church, put it all together, strive for holiness, make sure that there's no glaring gaps in your discipleship, and then live into that humbly. He says, keep thriving, live quietly, be humble, work hard. It's funny because when we read that, when we... When we think of someone who is a holy person, this is not typically what we think about, right? When we think of holy people, we think of them as pious and ostentatious and set apart and kind of judgy and untouchable. Maybe they're wearing a long robe and kind of strutting around, right? Instead, Paul says, live like I live. Be humble in your pursuit of holy living. Be peaceful and caring and work hard. That's what holiness looks like. Now, is Paul saying that Holy living means that we need to partake in manual labor. Some of you may have seen that work with your hands and wonder what that was about. No, that's not really what Paul is saying. He knew that his audience in Thessalonica was mostly low-class workers. They would have been manual laborers. So what he's saying to them is, do the things that you're already doing, but strive for holiness as you're doing them. To please God and conform to his character while running away from anything ungodly. You don't have to wear a robe. You don't have to act all righteous. Just work hard, work honestly, be radically committed to following Jesus while living a conventional, humble life. And here's why. Because a holy life that is quiet and diligent and steady makes a sincerely positive impression on people who don't know who Jesus is. Disciples of Jesus who are living it humbly, that humble hope that we've been talking about, striving every day for holiness, their lives are attractive lives. I found Jennifer's honest, humble, growing faith that was, that was really making a difference in her, I found that extremely compelling. It wasn't flashy, it wasn't proud, and it helped other students to feel free to dive into the life of Jesus more deeply as well. So, Those three things are what I want to point out to you. And as I close, I want you to just think about when this letter was initially read to the Thessalonian church. I love, actually, one of the great things in the last couple weeks has been to realize that this gathering here is probably about twice the size of what the Thessalonian church was. Okay, so you get a little visual of what it would have been like for them to maybe gather together to have this letter read. And it would have been read aloud to everybody. They wouldn't have passed it around individually. It would have been read aloud to everybody. And when it came to this uh, parenthesis section, I imagine that they must have been a little nervous, at least some of them, right? Oh, here come the do's and the don'ts. They might even get defensive. I assume that there was some tension because this is the section, they know it's coming in these letters, the section where the rubber meets the road. It's decision time. Surely there would have been some who felt like Paul maybe was overstepping in some of the things that he said. Or that maybe they felt judged. Or they felt misunderstood. When the Thessalonians heard the do's and the don'ts of this important passage of Scripture, they had to decide, is this God's word for me? Is this God's word for me? Do I trust that Paul is faithfully delivering this word? Are there emotions that I'm feeling as I'm hearing this that, that are maybe God nudging me towards something else? Well, the parenthesis 
is for us here too today. And what is it? Don't do the bare minimum. Don't strive for the bare minimum in your faith. Don't live with gaping holes in your discipleship, particularly in your sexual life. And do live humbly, striving for holiness and to be a witness of Jesus Christ. That's God's word for us today. Do you hear it? Do you believe it? And how will you respond? I invite you to pray with me. Lord, Jesus Christ, the model of our faith, we pray for this word that you've given to each of us this morning, that it might speak to us. For those who are here, for those who are live streaming with us, for those who will pick this up later, who are just seeking the bare minimum, who are hoping just to get a passing grade, who are showing up but not really growing in their relationship with you and deepening in their discipleship, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them with courage. Would you give them the courage to invest their hearts and their lives in following you? Might they hear the call to holiness today, to conforming to your character and resisting anything that opposes your character. Be with them, Lord, these children whom you love. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters here today over live stream who will pick this up later, who are growing in many ways of their lives but have gaps in their discipleship, parts of their life that they have not put under your lordship, parts of their lives that induce guilt and and shame where they have not placed you on the throne of that area of their life and taking it instead. Might they hear the call to holiness, to close those gaps by saying, Lord, you take control of this area of my life. I want to honor you. I want to give you glory. I want to please you in the way that I live. And Lord, for those who are actively putting it all together, who are humbly seeking ways to, to work and to, and to be neighbors and to pray and to, and to live a life that is integrated in you, would you encourage them to keep going? Would you keep them from the pitfalls that they might fall back into? And might they continue to be a witness to a watching world? Lord, for each of us, Would you help us to hear your call to holiness? Would you give us the courage to respond with our very lives, we pray. In the name of Jesus, the holy God in human form. Amen. Amen. Can we stand together?